Section 3 of To the Christian Nobility of the German Nation by Martin Luther Translated by C. A. Buchheim This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty-seven articles respecting the reformation of the Christian estate. Now, though I am too lowly to submit articles that could serve for the reformation of these fearful evils, I will yet sing out my fool's song, and will show, as well as my wit will allow, what might and should be done by the temporal authorities, or by a general council. 1. Princes, nobles, and cities should promptly forbid their subjects to pay the annates, and should even abolish them altogether. For the Pope has broken the compact, and turned the annates into robbery for the harm and shame of the German nation. He gives them to his friends, he sells them for large sums of money, and founds benefices on them. Therefore he has forfeited his right to them, and deserves punishment. In this way the temporal power should protect the innocent, and prevent wrongdoing, as we are taught by St. Paul, Romans 13, and by St. Peter, 1 Peter 2, and even by canon law, 16, question 7, De Filiis. That is why we say to the Pope and his followers, Tu, ora, thou shalt pray, to the Emperor and his followers, Tu, protege, thou shalt protect, to the commons, Tu, labora, thou shalt work. Not that each man should not pray, protect, and work, for if a man fulfills his duty, that is, prayer, protection, and work. But every man must have his proper task. 2. Since by means of those Romish tricks, commendams, coadjutors, reservations, expectations, popes, months, incorporations, unions, pauls, rules of chancellery, and other such knaveries, the Pope takes unlawful possession of all German foundations to give and sell them to strangers at Rome that profit Germany in no way, so that the incumbents are robbed of their rights, and the bishops are made mere ciphers and anointed idols. And thus, besides natural justice and reason, the Pope's own canon law is violated, and things have come to such a pass that prebends and benefits are sold at Rome to vulgar, ignorant asses and knaves out of sheer greed while pious, learned men have no profit by their merit or skill, whereby the unfortunate German people must needs lack good learned prelates and suffer ruin. On account of these evils, the Christian nobility should rise up against the Pope as a common enemy and destroyer of Christianity, for the sake of the salvation of the poor souls that such tyranny must ruin. They should ordain, order, and decree that henceforth no benefice shall be drawn away to Rome, and that no benefice shall be claimed there in any fashion whatsoever. And after having once got these benefices out of the hands of Romish tyranny, they must be kept from them, and their lawful incumbents must be reinstated in them to administer them as best they may, within the German nation. And if a courtling came from Rome, he should receive the strict command to withdraw, or to leap into the Rhine, or whatever river be nearest, and to administer a cold bath to the interdict, seal and letters and all. Thus those at Rome would learn that we Germans are not to remain drunken fools for ever, but that we too are become Christians, and that as such we will no longer suffer this shameful mockery of Christ's holy name that serves as a cloak for such knavery and destruction of souls, and that we shall respect God and the glory of God more than the power of men. 3. 
it should be decreed by an imperial law that no episcopal cloak and no confirmation of any appointment shall for the future be obtained from rome the order of the most holy and renowned nicene council must again be restored namely that a bishop must be confirmed by the two nearest bishops or by the archbishop if the pope cancels the decrees of these and all other councils what is the good of councils at all who has given him the right thus to despise councils and to cancel them if this is allowed we had better abolish all bishops archbishops and primates and make simple rectors of all of them so that they would have the pope alone over them as indeed the case is now he deprives bishops archbishops and primates of all the authority of their office taking everything to himself and leaving them only the name and empty title more than this by his exemption he has withdrawn convents abbots and prelates from the ordinary authority of the bishops so that there remains no order in christendom the necessary result of this must be and has been laxity in punishing and such a liberty to do evil in all the world that i very much fear one might call the pope the man of sin who but the pope is to blame for this absence of all order of all punishment of all government of all discipline in christendom by his own arbitrary power he ties the hands of all his prelates and takes from them their rods while all their subjects have their hands unloosed and obtain license by gift or purchase but that he have no cause for complaint as being deprived of his authority it should be decreed that in cases where the primates and archbishops are unable to settle the matter or where there is a dispute among them the matter shall be submitted to the pope but not every little matter as was done formerly and was ordered by the most renowned nicene council his holiness must not be troubled with small matters that can be settled without his help so that he may have leisure to devote himself to his prayers and study and to his care of all christendom as he professes to do as indeed the apostles did saying acts six two and four it is not reason that we should leave the word of god and serve tables but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word but now we see at rome nothing but contempt of the gospel and of prayer and of the service of tables that is the service of the goods of this world and the government of the pope agrees with the government of the apostles as well as lucifer with christ hell with heaven night with day and yet he calls himself christ's vicar and the successor of the apostles four let it be decreed that no temporal matter shall be submitted to rome but all shall be left to the jurisdiction of the temporal authorities this is part of their own canon law though they do not obey it for this should be the pope's office that he the most learned in the scriptures and the most holy not in name only but in fact should rule in matters concerning the faith and the holy life of christians he should make primates and bishops attend to this and should work and take thought with them to this end as st paul teaches first corinthians six severely upbraiding those that occupy themselves with the things of this world for all countries suffer unbearable damage by this practice of settling such matters at rome since it involves great expense and besides this the judges at rome not knowing the manners laws and customs of other countries frequently pervert the matter according to their own laws and their own opinions thus causing injustice to all parties 
Besides this, we should prohibit in all foundations the grievous extortion of the ecclesiastical judges. They should only be allowed to consider matters concerning faith and good morals. But matters concerning money, property, life, and honor should be left to the temporal judges. Therefore the temporal authorities should not permit excommunication or expulsion except in matters of faith and righteous living. It is only reasonable that spiritual authorities should have power in spiritual matters. Spiritual matters, however, are not money or matters relating to the body, but faith and good works. Still, we might allow matters respecting benefices or prebends to be treated before bishops, archbishops, and primates. Therefore, when it is necessary to decide quarrels and strifes, let the primate of Germany hold the general consistory, with assessors and chancellors, who would have control over the signaturas gratiae and justitiae, and to whom matters arising in Germany might be submitted by appeal. The officers of such court should be paid out of the annates, or in some other way, and should not have to draw their salaries, as at Rome, from chance presents and offerings, whereby they grow accustomed to sell justice and injustice, as they must needs do at Rome, where the Pope gives them no salary, but allows them to fatten themselves on presents. For at Rome no one heeds what is right or what is wrong, but only what is money and what is not money. But this matter of salaries I must leave to men of higher understanding, and of more experience in these things than I have. I am content with making these suggestions, and giving some materials for consideration to those who may be able and willing to help the German nation to become a free people of Christians, after this wretched, heathen, unchristian misrule of the Pope. 5. Henceforth, no reservations shall be valid, and no benefices shall be appropriated by Rome, whether the incumbent die, or there be a dispute, or the incumbent be a servant of the Pope or of the Cardinal. And all courtiers shall be strictly prohibited and prevented from causing a dispute about any benefice, so as to cite the pious priests, to trouble them and to drive them into a lawsuit. And if in consequence of this there comes an interdict from Rome, let it be despised just as if a thief were to excommunicate any man because he would not allow him to steal in peace. Nay, they should be punished most severely for making such a blasphemous use of excommunication and of the name of God to support their robberies, and for wishing by their false threats to drive us to suffer and approve this blasphemy of God's name and this abuse of Christian authority and thus to become sharers before God in their wrongdoing, whereas it is our duty before God to punish it, as St. Paul, Romans 1, upbraids the Romans for not only doing wrong, but allowing wrong to be done. But above all that lying mental reservation, pectoralis reservatio, is unbearable, by which Christendom is so openly mocked and insulted, in that its head notoriously deals with lies, and impudently cheats and fools every man for the sake of accursed wealth. 6. The cases reserved, casus reservati, should be abolished, by which not only are the people cheated out of much money, but besides many poor consciences are confused and led into error by the ruthless tyrants to the intolerable harm of their faith in God, especially those foolish and childish cases that are made important by the bull in Cena Domini, and which do not deserve the name of daily sins, not to mention those greater causes for which the Pope gives no absolution, such as preventing a pilgrimage from going to Rome, 
furnishing the Turks with arms, or forging the Pope's letters. They only fool us with these gross, mad, and clumsy matters. Sodom and Gomorrah, and all sins that are committed, and that can be committed against God's commandments, are not reserved cases. But what God never commanded, and they themselves have invented, these must be made reserved cases, solely in order that no one may be prevented from bringing money to Rome, that they may live in their lust without fear of the Turk, and may keep the world in their bondage by their useless bowls and briefs. Now all priests ought to know, or rather it should be a public ordinance, that no secret sin constitutes a reserved case if there be no public accusation, and that every priest has power to absolve from all sin, whatever its name, if it be secret, and that no abbot, bishop, or pope has power to reserve any such case, and lastly, that if they do this, it is null and void, and they should moreover be punished as interfering without authority in God's judgment, and confusing and troubling without cause our poor witless consciences. But, in respect to any great open sin, directly contrary to God's commandments, there is some reason for a reserved case. But there should not be too many, nor should they be reserved arbitrarily without due cause. For God has not ordained tyrants, but shepherds in his church, as St. Peter says, 1 Peter 5, 2. 7. The Roman see must abolish the papal offices, and diminish that crowd of crawling vermin at Rome, so that the Pope's servants may be supported out of the Pope's own pocket, and that his court may cease to surpass all royal courts in its pomp and extravagance, seeing that all this pomp has not only been of no service to the Christian faith, but has also kept them from study and prayer, so that they themselves know hardly anything concerning matters of faith, as they proved clumsily enough at the last Roman council. How are men to rule in Christendom and to decide matters of faith, who, callous and blinded by their own greed, wealth, and worldly pomp, have only just decided that the soul is immortal? It is no slight shame to all Christendom that they should deal thus scandalously with the faith at Rome. If they had less wealth and lived in less pomp, they might be better able to study and pray, that they might become able and worthy to treat matters of belief, as they were once when they were content to be bishops and not kings of kings. 8. The terrible oaths must be abolished, which bishops are forced without any right to swear to the Pope, by which they are bound like servants, and which are arbitrarily and foolishly decreed in the absurd and shallow chapter Significasti, is it not enough that they oppress us in goods, body, and soul by all their mad laws, by which they have weakened faith and destroyed Christianity? But must they now take possession of the very persons of bishops with their offices and functions, and also claim the investiture which used formerly to be the right of the German emperors, and is still the right of the king in France and other kingdoms? This matter caused many wars and disputes, with the emperors until the popes impudently took the power by force, since which time they have retained it, just as if it were right only for the Germans above all Christians on earth to be the fools of the pope and the holy see, and to do and suffer what no one beside would suffer or do. Seeing then that this is mere arbitrary power, robbery, and a hindrance to the exercise of the bishop's ordinary power, and to the injury of poor souls, 
Therefore it is the duty of the emperor and his nobles to prevent and punish this tyranny. 9. The Pope shall have no power over the emperor, except to anoint and crown him at the altar, as a bishop crowns a king. Nor should that devilish pomp be allowed that the emperor should kiss the Pope's feet, or sit at his feet, or, as it is said, hold his stirrup, or the reins of his mule, when he mounts to ride. Much less should he pay homage to the Pope, or swear allegiance, as is impudently demanded by the Popes, as if they had a right to it. The chapter Solita, in which the papal authority is exalted above the imperial, is not worth a farthing, and so of all those that depend on it or fear it, for it does nothing but pervert God's holy words from their true meaning, according to their own imaginations, as I have proved in a Latin treatise. All these excessive, over-presumptuous, and most wicked claims of the Pope are the invention of the devil, with the object of bringing in Antichrist in due course, and to raise the Pope above God, as indeed many have done and are now doing. It is not meet that the Pope should exalt himself above temporal authority, except in spiritual matters, such as preaching and absolution. In other matters he should be subject to it, according to the teaching of St. Paul, Romans 13, and St. Peter, 1 Peter 3, as I have said above. He is not the vicar of Christ in heaven, but only of Christ upon earth. For Christ in heaven, in the form of a ruler, requires no vicar, but there sits, sees, does, knows, and commands all things. But he requires him in the form of a servant, to represent him as he walked upon earth, working, preaching, suffering, and dying. But they reverse this. They take from Christ his power as a heavenly ruler, and give it to the Pope, and allow the form of a servant to be entirely forgotten. Philippians 2.7 He should properly be called the Counter-Christ, whom the Scriptures call Antichrist, for his whole existence, work, and proceedings are directed against Christ, to ruin and destroy the existence and will of Christ. It is also absurd and puerile for the Pope to boast for such blind, foolish reasons in his decretal pastoralis that he is the rightful heir to the empire if the throne be vacant. Who gave it to him? Did Christ do so when he said, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, but ye shall not do so? Luke 22, 25 and 26. Did St. Peter bequeath it to him? It disgusts me that we have to read and teach such impudent, clumsy, foolish lies in the canon law, and moreover to take them for Christian doctrine, while in reality they are mere devilish lies. Of this kind also is the unheard-of lie touching the donation of Constantine. It must have been a plague sent by God that induced so many wise people to accept such lies, though they are so gross and clumsy that one would think a drunken boar could lie more skillfully. How could preaching, prayer, study, and the care of the poor consist with the government of the empire? These are the true offices of the Pope, which Christ imposed with such insistence that he forbade them to take either coat or scrip. Matthew 10.10 10. For he that has to govern a single house can hardly perform these duties. Yet the Pope wishes to rule an empire and to remain a Pope. This is the invention of the knaves, that would fain become lords of the world in the Pope's name, and set up again the old Roman Empire as it was formerly, 
by means of the Pope and the name of Christ, in its former condition. 10. The Pope must withdraw his hand from the dish, and on no pretense assume royal authority over Naples and Sicily. He has no more right to it than I, and yet claims to be the lord of it. It has been taken by force and robbery like almost all his other possessions. Therefore the emperor should grant him no such fief, nor any longer allow him those he has, but direct him instead to his Bibles and prayer-books, so that he may leave the government of countries and peoples to the temporal power, especially of those that no one has given him. Let him rather preach and pray. The same should be done with Bologna, Imola, Vicenza, Ravenna, and whatever the Pope has taken by forth and holds without right in the Encantine territory, in the Romagna and other parts of Italy, interfering in their affairs against all the commandments of Christ and St. Paul. For St. Paul says, 2 Timothy 2.4, that he that would be one of the soldiers of heaven must not entangle himself in the affairs of this life. Now the Pope should be head and leader of the soldiers of heaven, and yet he engages more in worldly matters than any king or emperor. He should be relieved of his worldly cares and allowed to attend to his duties as a soldier of heaven. Christ also, whose vicar he claims to be, would have nothing to do with the things of this world, and even asked one that desired of him a judgment concerning his brother, who made me a judge over you. St. Luke 12.14 But the Pope interferes in these matters unasked, and concerns himself with all matters, as though he were a god, until he himself has forgotten what this Christ is, whose vicar he professes to be. 11. The custom of kissing the Pope's feet must cease. It is an unchristian, or rather an anti-Christian example, that a poor sinful man should suffer his foot to be kissed by one who is a hundred times better than he. If it is done in honor of his power, why does he not do it to others in honor of their holiness? Compare them together, Christ and the Pope. Christ washed his disciples' feet and dried them, and the disciples never washed his. The Pope, pretending to be higher than Christ, inverts this, and considers it a great favor to let us kiss his feet. Whereas, if any one wished to do so, he ought to do his utmost to prevent them, as St. Paul and Barnabas would not suffer themselves to be worshipped as gods by the men at Lystra, saying, We also are men of like passions with you, Acts 14.14 14 and following. But our flatterers have brought things to such a pitch that they have set up an idol for us, until no one regards God with such fear, or honors him with such reverence as they do the Pope. This they can suffer, but not that the Pope's glory should be diminished a single hair's breadth. Now if they were Christians, and preferred God's honor to their own, the Pope would never be willing to have God's honor despised and his own exalted, nor would he allow any to honor him, until he found that God's honor was again exalted above his own. It is of a piece with this revolting pride that the Pope is not satisfied with riding on horseback or in carriage, but, though he be hale and strong, is carried by men like an idol, in unheard-of pomp. I ask you, how does this Lucifer-like pride agree with the example of Christ who went on foot, as did also all his apostles? Where has there been a king who lived in such worldly pomp as he does? 
who professes to be the head of all, whose duty it is to despise and flee from all worldly pomp, I mean of all Christians, not that this need concern us for his own sake, but that we had good reason to fear God's wrath if we flatter such pride and do not show our discontent. It is enough that the Pope should be so mad and foolish, but it is too much that we should sanction and approve it. For what Christian heart can be pleased at seeing the Pope, when he communicates, sit still like a gracious Lord, and have the sacrament handed to him on a golden reed, by a cardinal bending on his knees before him, just as if the holy sacrament were not worthy that a pope, a poor miserable sinner, should stand to do honour to his God, although all other Christians, who are much more holy than the Most Holy Father, receive it with all reverence. Could we be surprised if God visited us all with a plague, for that we suffer such dishonour to be done to God by our prelates, and approve it, becoming partners of the Pope's damnable pride by our silence or flattery? It is the same when he carries the sacrament in procession. He must be carried, but the sacrament stands before him like a cup of wine on a table. In short, at Rome Christ is nothing, the Pope is everything. Yet they urge us and threaten us to make us suffer and approve and honor this anti-Christian scandal contrary to God and all Christian doctrine. Now may God so help a free council that it may teach the Pope that he too is a man, not above God, as he makes himself out to be. 12. Pilgrimages to Rome must be abolished, or at least no one must be allowed to go from his own wish or his own piety, unless his priest, his town magistrate, or his lord has found that there is sufficient reason for his pilgrimage. This I say not because pilgrimages are bad in themselves, but because at the present time they lead to mischief, for at Rome a pilgrim sees no good examples, but only offense. They themselves have made a proverb, The nearer to Rome, the farther from Christ. And accordingly men bring home contempt of God and of God's commandments. It is said, The first time one goes to Rome, he goes to seek a rogue. The second time he finds him. The third time he brings him home with him. But now they have become so skillful that they can do their three journeys in one, and they have in fact brought home from Rome this saying, It were better never to have seen or heard of Rome. And even if this were not so, there is something of more importance to be considered, namely, that simple men are thus led into a false delusion and a wrong understanding of God's commandments. For they think that these pilgrimages are precious and good works. But this is not true. It is but a little good work, often a bad, misleading work, for God has not commanded it. But he has commanded that each man should care for his wife and children, and whatever concerns the married estate, and should besides serve and help his neighbor. Now it often happens that one goes on pilgrimage to Rome, spends fifty or one hundred guilders more or less, which no one has commanded him, while his wife and children, or those dearest to him, are left at home in want and misery. And yet he thinks, poor foolish man, to atone for this disobedience and contempt of God's commandments by his self-willed pilgrimage, while he is in truth misled by idle curiosity or the wiles of the devil. This the popes have encouraged by their false and foolish inventions of golden years, by which they have incited the people, 
have torn them away from God's commandments, and turned them to their own delusive proceedings, and set up the very thing they ought to have forbidden. But it wrought them money, and strengthened their false authority, and therefore it was allowed to continue, though against God's will and the salvation of souls. That this false, misleading belief on the part of simple Christians may be destroyed, and a true opinion of good works may again be introduced, our pilgrimages should be done away with. For there is no good in them, no commandment, but countless causes of sin, and of contempt of God's commandments. These pilgrimages are the reason for there being so many beggars that commit numberless villainies, taught by them, and accustomed to beg without need. Hence arises a vagabond life, besides other miseries which I cannot dwell on now. If any wishes to go on a pilgrimage, or to make a vow for a pilgrimage, he should first inform his priest or the temporal authorities of the reason. And if it should turn out that he wished to do it for the sake of good works, let this vow and work be just trampled upon by the priest or the temporal authority as an infernal delusion, and let them tell him to spend his money and the labor a pilgrimage would cost on God's commandments, and on a thousandfold better work, namely, on his family and his poor neighbors. But if he does it out of curiosity, to see cities and countries, he may be allowed to do so. If he have vowed it in sickness, let such vows be prohibited, and let God's commandments be insisted upon in contrast to them, so that a man may be content with what he has vowed in baptism, namely, to keep God's commandments. Yet for this once he may be suffered, for a quiet conscience's sake, to keep his silly vow. No one is content to walk on the broad high road of God's commandments. Every one makes for himself new roads and new vows, as if he had kept all of God's commandments. End of section 3